0: We want you to know that uh, Midtown, we aim to be a, a place where it's really safe to ask questions, to doubt, to explore, and we'd love to help you in any way we can to get you, to help you uh, know who Jesus is and connect you to him. So, so, so glad that you're here. Hey, what we're going to do this morning is continue the uh, series that we started uh, a few weeks ago, the summer series, calling it the Psalms of Summer. And uh, each week we're taking uh, a look at a different psalm. And uh, just kind of drilling down on that. And um, as Justin said last week, it's kind of like putting together a little bit of playlist for you from the Psalms that you can go back to as they relate with you, uh, with what you're going on in your life. You think, okay, I need to go back and listen to that again or go back to, you know, read that Psalm again as it pertains to different, you know, things that you're facing in your life. And today... We're talking to. We're going to look at Psalm 62. So you can open up your Bibles to that, or go to that on your phone, or whatever it is. And uh, but as you go there, I'll say Psalm 62 is a psalm that's written to uh, about how we can uh, find rest in troubling times. And so what's the, the, the circumstance of your life that make this psalm relevant is any difficulty or trouble that you have. And unfortunately, that means that this psalm is going to be very relevant to your life a lot of the time because life is difficult, is it not? It is. I mean, life is, is very difficult. And so what this psalm has to say to us, guys is really relevant. So let's look at it together. Psalm 62, I'll read the whole thing. Follow along with me. If you don't have a Bible, you can also, always pick one up in the re, off the resource table. Those are gifts to you for free, but also you can follow along on the slides. Here's what it says, starting verse 1, Psalm 62. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. My refuge is God. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this. That power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work. Let me pray, and then we'll dive into this. Father, we ask that you would speak to us from your word. Lord, give us hearts to believe what you have to say to us. Lord, may we find here uh, rest in you, even in the midst of hard times. And God, would you help us apply this? Or for your glory and our good. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, I love this psalm. One of the reasons I love this psalm is because it's written in real time. (laughs) What I mean by that is like uh, King David's author of this psalm. and And the way that he writes it, it's clear that he's not writing looking back at hard times and reflecting on them. He's actually writing in the midst of hard times. And so in this sense, this is great instruction for us. For those of you who are currently going through difficulties, going through trouble, to say, okay, this is how we can respond even in the midst of that and still find rest. And so if you want to do, follow along kind on of an outline, help you kind of track along with me, this is what we're going to kind of unpack from this psalm. He's going to lay out the, our need for rest, and then where not to look for rest, and then where and how to look for rest. All right. So first, you know, we're, uh, just the fact that we need rest is, is one of the things that's you know he he speaks about in this psalm. And the reason that we need rest is clear. It's because uh, this world is, as I said earlier, it, it, this life is difficult. This world is full of brokenness, and so we need and are often aware of, of a need for rest, of peace that just doesn't seem available to us. Right. I mean, even Jesus said in John chapter 16, in this world, you will have what? Trouble. It's like, that wasn't the most encouraging thing Jesus ever said. In this world, you will have trouble. But then he says, but take heart, I've overcome the world. But the the truth is, is that Jesus is calling. Like, we're gonna have trouble in this life. And that trouble can come from different sources. It can come from outside of us, from other people, our circumstances, that kind of stuff. Or the trouble can come from up from within us as a result of the consequences of our own sin or foolishness. But regardless of the source of where the trouble is coming from, the truth is, is that that trouble leaves us feeling restless, feeling like we need, you know, peace. And so, ah, Jesus, you know, second part of the statement is what he has to say there. It's such good news. It's to take heart. I've overcome the world, Right. And that through Jesus' death and resurrection, He has defeated sin and death. And that one day, He's going to come back, set up His kingdom on earth, and rule from here. And the result is going to be peace for the whole world. It's going to be uh, just abundance and consistent peace and rest. And we pray for that day to come soon, right? But we also acknowledge that that day has yet to come. (laughs) And as a result, we should expect and it should not surprise us, even though it makes sense that it pains us, that there's trouble, there's brokenness, there's difficulty, there's hardship, it's, it, this life is it's hard. And David is bumping up against that reality in this psalm. And so, like, look, look again what he says in verses 3 and 4. He says, you know, how, how long will all of you attack a man to batter him? Like a leaning wall, a tottering fence— They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse." Now, many have speculated, like, what, what is, what's the circumstances that David it caused David to write this? And, and no one knows for sure. I mean, some think that he must have been, like, under attack, like, really, like, bodily harm. <laughs> was coming his way when it says, uh, you know, that they attack a man to batter him. Or some believe that there's others that are trying to, like, uh, ruin his reputation. So, when it says they take pleasure in falsehood. You know, or it could be that people were actually trying to remove him as king. You know, remove him from his high position, as it says, thrust him down from his high position. It's not completely clear what exactly was the situation here. However, if you're familiar with David's uh, life from the biblical, biblical account, you'll know that all three of those things happened to him on numerous occasions, oftentimes at the same time. And so most likely all three of those things are happening. In fact, that makes sense for the way that he describes himself in those verses. If you notice, his description of himself is a a leaning wall, a a tottering fence. I don't know if you've ever called yourself that. Probably not, but this is what David calls himself. And here's what he's saying. Man, I'm feeling vulnerable. (laughs) I feel like I can't stand against the weight of all that's coming crashing down on me. I feel fragile. Like this is David's way of saying, man, I just keep getting kicked when I'm down. Like, I mean, people are trying to hurt me. And now they're trying to ruin my reputation and they're trying to remove me as king. Like, come on, I'm a tottering fence. I'm a leaning wall. They're kicking me when I'm down. Life, guys, life is difficult. You ever feel like you've been kicked when you're already down? And things just can pile up and up and up on each other. It's hard, isn't it? What do we do? Where do we turn? And those, when like, that's your situation. Where can you look to find rest, to find any sense of peace in the midst of that trouble? Well, David, he points out two common places that we run to to find rest. And he says, hey, don't go there. (laughs) In this psalm, he says, okay, here's, let me just list off a couple places where you will not find rest, though you might think that you can find it there. The first place that he lists is in verse 9. And it's really, he says, don't run to people. Or even more powerfully, he would say, don't run to friends. Now, that sounds weird, right? But let me, let me first read what he says, and then I'll explain it. He says this. He says, those, in verse 9, those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. So he's saying here is that people are not, the best place to run to to find rest on an ultimate side of things, all right? Now, he's not saying, let me be clear, <laughs> he's not saying that people are not a help. He's not saying that friends are not a blessing, I mean, the, the biblical account is so full of the fact that, man, friends are such a blessing from God and that we as a church, we are called to carry each other's burdens, right? And when you have someone who's carrying your burdens, then are they not a blessing? Do they not help you get through troubling times? Absolutely. But what David is saying here is that ultimately people can't be your source of security, your primary place you go to for rest. They can't be your refuge. They can't be your rock. Because people, as he says, are but a breath. People are but a breath. That we're frail, that we're weak, (laughs) that though we might have great intentions, we often do not have the ability to follow through, to be what we need to be to one another, to always have everyone feeling secure, (laughs) to help everyone through times of trouble. Is that not true? So it's not that you can't turn to people. We should turn to people. Community is so important. That's why we harp on everyone getting into a Midtown community, our groups that meet during the week. And we say, we want you to get connected to friends who help you in your walk with God and help know you and carry you through hard times. It's so important. And yet, if that's your number one way that you're going to make it through troubling times, then you're going to be in a bad spot because people are but a breath ultimately. They can't be your primary place you look to for rest. I need to hear this. I don't know about you guys, but like for me, that I, I, if I was honest, more often than not, my tendency is to run to people when I face troubling times to get some sense of security, some sense of rest, some sense of help. And what I have found, I was thinking about this this week, is that if I'm honest with myself, like the hardest things I've had to go through in my life are actually as a result of my closest friends and my family. The people that I, pour, I go to thinking they're my sense to find rest and security are actually the ones who caused me the most troubling times. And like, I just think this way, I was sharing, I shared this at the beginning of June, but like my dad got cancer this month and that was, I mean, that was shocking right? Like my dad, I could, I would have said before, in just kind of metaphorical way, but just say, man, my dad is like a rock to me. I mean, he is just such a, I mean, he's, he's been such an awesome dad. And he is a godly wise man. He planted a church. And so like there's, like he's a pastor. And so like I'm planning a church and I'm a pastor. I have so much to lean on to him. I could go to him for this sense of stability, but he gets cancer. Man, it rocked me. Why? <laughs> Because people are but a breath. And if man, if, if my dad is my rock, then I was faced with the reality at one time or another in my life, my rock will be gone. So much of the trouble that I've faced in my life is because of close friends. Friends that dearly loved me, but for different reasons ended up having to leave. And I felt like, it felt like they had to leave me. And I felt betrayed by that at times. People are a blessing. Should we go to them to help us carry our burdens, or should we try to carry each other's burdens? Absolutely, yes. But our people, our rock, our refuge, are they going to be our primary place of rest? They should not be. They cannot be. David says, don't go there. Where are you going to look to for rest? Don't, not, don't let people be your ultimate plan. And then he says, and don't let money, don't let money be your ultimate plan either. Verse 10, he says it this way, He says, put no trust in extortion, set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. So he says, hey, whether ill-gotten gain or honest money, you know, whether extortion or robbery or just that your riches increase, either way, don't set your heart on money. Don't set your heart on it. Now, let's be honest. Is money blessing? Yes. Yes. God knows it's nice to have money. I, I encourage all of y'all to have some. <laughs> and does money help uh, during times of trouble? Y- yeah, it, 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 times of trouble plus no money means. More trouble, right? It it helps to be able to pay for those medical bills and things like that. You know, it's it's nice to have money. It can help blunt some of the pain of troubling times. But can money really be the thing that keeps you from troubling times? Can it really be the place to find rest in the midst of troubling times? No, it can't. I mean, we all know this. I mean, there's a lot of things that money can do, but there's a ton of things that money cannot do. It's not going to keep you from family tragedy. It can't keep you from cancer. It can't keep you from uh, death. (laughs) It can't buy your happiness. So money comes up short in being the place to look to for ultimate rest. And just like I was saying with friends, is it not also true that one of the main things that causes us unrest in life is the lack of money, (laughs) right? And so you can't go to rest and say, rest is my source for money, uh, for rest. Money is my source for rest. Because oftentimes, one of the things that's causing the most anxiety in your life is, I don't have enough money. You know, the, the car breaks down, the rent goes up, the medical bills come in. And it's like, okay, well, does it make sense to have that be your ultimate place for rest? And yet, if we're honest, how much security do we place on money? I mean, we, we look to money, guys, to be a place of rest for us, to provide security for us to bring peace to us. And David's warning here, we need to listen to. This cannot be our ultimate place to find rest. I was convicted of this this week. Again, we've been talking about how our church is doing financially. And uh, back at the beginning of June, I was, was, you know, we we shared a lot about where we are. We're, at that time, we were $37,000 behind budget. We hadn't made budget, a monthly budget since, uh, the, the, for the entire calendar year. Uh, not, not a good spot. And we're looking at having to make some pretty drastic cuts on ministry and uh, salaries. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not fun. Now, good news. Let me quick aside here. Uh, for the first time since this calendar year in the month of June, we made budget. And by God's grace and your generosity, how He's using you, I mean, praise God for that, right? Like, it's just a praise God, that's a big thing. And, like, personally, I'll just share, and the elders would say the same thing. Like, we're really encouraged by how you guys, how we as a church have responded to this. Man, it's such a—I love the ownership. This shows, like, we care about God, do what He's doing through this church. We we want to worship God with the money. We want to see the gospel advance from Midtown Church. So we're giving for that purpose, and that man, praise God how He's provided. In fact, not only did we make budget in June, but we—it looks like we're about five grand over budget for June. So— uh chipping away on the deficit from 37,000 to closer to 32,000 now. So I mean again, praise God, that's so awesome. But man, I read this verse this week in light of that news and I find myself thinking, man, life would be a lot better if we could just make up that whole deficit. <laughs> man, if our riches would increase, then my life would be great. <laughs> that's like No, if your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Guys, money is a terrible place for us to turn to as our source to find rest in the midst of troubling times. That's what David's saying here. So then, of course, the question is, okay, well, where should we turn? And the answer is about, you know, as easy of an answer you can possibly get in church, right? Uh, God, turn to God, right? I mean, we all saw, see that coming. Let me read what he says though, right? So he says this in verses, well, he says it in verses one and two. Then he says it again in verses five through seven. I'll read five and through seven again. He says, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rest my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Okay, again, no surprise that this is the right answer. But let's talk honest. How hard is this? Like, does this come easy to you in the midst of troubling times, hard hard situations, circumstances? Like, are you quick to turn to God to find rest in Him? Like, many of us would say, like, you ask the question, you would have the right answer, but how functionally does that show up in your life? This is hard to do, is it not? What I love about this psalm is not just that it tells us the right answer. You know, God's the rock, God's the refuge, turn to him. But it also tells us how to turn to him. I don't know if you've noticed, but did you see in verses 5 through 7, like, who's David talking to? He's talking to himself, is he not? I mean, he's saying, "Oh, oh, my soul. Wait in silence. Hey, he is my rock. He is my refuge. He's having to talk to himself because why? Because he has to convince himself to believe this again. That it's not just natural. He's having to call himself in the midst of his troubling time, this tottering fence. You know, he's like, things are bad. I'm being kicked around I'm down. What do I need to do? I need to turn to God. What do I, how do I do that? I got to talk to myself. <laughs> I got to call my soul to believe this again. To remind myself who God is, what His character is, that He truly is my rock, that He truly is my refuge. Not only does he have to talk to himself again, but look at what He's saying. Look what he calls himself to do. Verse one, he says it this way, "For God alone, my soul, what? Waits in silence." And then in verse five, "For God alone, O my soul, wait." In silence. See, how we turn to God to rest in Him is that we call ourselves to wait in silence. That we get silent before God. See, God's Word is saying that in the midst of difficulties of life, getting silent before God is critical for our well being if we're going to get to a place of genuine trust and therefore find rest in God. Do you ever do that? Do you ever just get quiet before God? And I'm not talking like five-second quiet. Do you ever like just, I'm going to just get quiet. I'm going to practice silence to meditate on who God is, what he's done, that he would speak to me, that he would remind me of who he is, that my trust in him would increase and therefore my rest in him would abound. Do you ever do that? I don't think many of us do that. And I think a part of it is just because of our culture. I mean, we're such a fast-paced culture. I came across this article in Newsweek that uh, I think... Got churned up again because the whole Oxford comma thing that came up again. Like, hey, we're supposed to use Oxford comma. Blake and Justin are really pumped up about that. They love that for some reason. It's, I don't. I'm, I, people have opinions on commas, strong opinions. It's great, but this old article came up by written by Robert J Samuelson, and uh, it was called "The Sad Fate of the Comma." I thought it was, you know, fitting here. Let me read it. It says, "I have always liked commas, but I seem to be in a shrinking minority." The comma is in retreat, though it is not yet extinct. In text messages and emails, commas appear infrequently. Even on the printed page, commas are dwindling. Many standard uses from my childhood have become optional or worse, have been ditched. He had like 10 commas in those three sentences. Just. But he goes on to say, if all this involved only grammar, I might let it lie. But the comma's sad fate is, I think, a metaphor for something larger, how we deal with the frantic, can't wait a minute nature of modern life. The comma is, after all, a small sign that flashes pause. It tells the reader to slow down, think a bit, and then move on. We don't have time for that. No pause allowed. In this sense, the comma's fading popularity is also social commentary. Isn't that well put? Guys, do we ever get silent before God? Like, we well, haven't got time for that. Man, do you know that silence is one of the, one of the spiritual disciplines that's been practiced since the, the birth of the church? I mean, Jesus himself got away in solitude and silence to get alone with God. The gospel accounts tell us that he did that again and again and taught his followers, his disciples, to do likewise. If Jesus needed that, how much more do we need that? Uh, Dallas Willard, a a pastor, a theologian, uh, he he talks about spiritual disciplines in two different categories. In one category, he calls it the the, uh, disciplines of abstinence. The disciplines of abstinence include solitude, silence, fasting, frugality, celibacy, and sacrifice. And then he talks about another category of spiritual disciplines. He calls these the uh, disciplines of uh, engagement. There it is, disciplines of engagement. These include study, worship, celebration, service, prayer, fellowship, and confession. Now, let me, t- let me ask, out of those two groups, which one are we, do we give more attention to? Which one do we practice more? I mean, we're all about engagement. That's our culture. That's, that's America. Like, let's do, 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 get stuff done. Man, we neglect the spiritual disciplines of abstinence to our detriment, to our spiritual detriment. We neglect them to our detriment of knowing who God is and being able to rest in him, especially in context of Psalms here in troubling times. Dallas Willard goes on to say, talking about the importance of silence. He says, silence is powerful and essential. Only it can allow us life-transforming concentration upon God. The rest of the disciplines become very difficult to maintain without it. You know, I think one of the reasons we, we avoid silence is because we're, you know, as a we're fast, 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 fast. I think another reason we avoid silence is because it's so dang uncomfortable, isn't it? <laughs> See, silence can expose us. You, know, you take time to actually sit and just rest and think, and all of a sudden, you kind of start to assess, you know, how's life? How are you? How's that last interaction? What are you living for? what's the purpose of all this? (laughs) And you're now some kind of wormhole trying to decide if you're real or not, you know? (laughs) Psalms kind of exposes you. It also exposes a lot of just kind of inadequate views of God, of your faith. You begin wondering like, man, is he even listening? Is he even real? Like, what if he doesn't speak, what if he doesn't talk to me? What does him talking to me look like? How does the spirit even, do I have the spirit? I mean, you, just, you get all kinds of fears and stuff. But he, guys, here's the, here's the thing. You got you to gotta practice it to learn how to do this. And it's uncomfortable initially. But oh man, it's so important. And it can be so helpful for you to really get to know God. Where truths about God actually become come home to your heart. And you actually begin to know Him. Oh, it's so good. Because we need to practice silence. We need to call our souls wait and silence before God. David does that here. And God speaks and it helps him in a tremendous way. In the midst of his trouble, we know that he speaks because he records it for us at the end of this psalm, verses 11 and 12. Here's what he says Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work. What's David discover as he gets silent before God? Power belongs to God, and so does steadfast love. Now, of course, either one of those things without the other doesn't really bring rest. But here God is saying, no, I've got all the power. There's nothing that can keep me from doing what I want to do. And I have nothing but steadfast love. So I'm going to use my power to bring about what's best, because I love you. Man, as David hears this from God in the midst of his trouble, he's able to breathe. He's able to rest. He's able to say what he does say in verse 2. God is my rock, that he's my refuge. See, in getting silent before God, God takes these truths. And I don't know exactly what David means when he says, you know, once God has spoken, twice I have heard. But I think what he might have meant is, like, I knew this already. I'd already heard this. But here God speaks, and now this truth comes home to me. Yeah, God in God is all power, and God is steadfast love. I knew that about him, but now in the midst of my situation, God has made this truth about him personal. And now his power has come home to me in this experience. Now his love has come home to me in this experience. And he's able to rest. Not because the trouble's gone. In the very midst of the trouble, he's able to find peace. That is what can happen when we get silent before God. He speaks to us. He takes these truths about him. And he brings them home to our hearts. As You ever do that. Let's do that. I had a chance to do that this week. And... um, in God's providence and his, I say, I'll say grace, um, I could even say humor, he has given me a chance to do that this week in a way that was, incre- as because I was faced with something incredibly troubling, <laughs> incredibly troubling. And I'm going to tell you about it right now, but I have to warn you that it may come across pretty troubling to you as well. Okay? So we'll get to do this together. We'll get to put this passage in practice right now. The world is ending. Not just kidding. No, um, <laughs> <laughs> on Wednesday, I got a phone call from AISD. Let me know that this building, the Baker Center, sold. And that we have to be out in three weeks. <laughs> I'm not kidding this time. That's true. And uh, that put me in a bit of a daze. I felt like I'd been punched in the gut. I you, you, you don't give a family of three, th- three weeks to relocate, much less a family, a, a church family of over 200, <laughs> three weeks to relocate. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, like this is wild. And all these fears come flooding in. And I'm worried about, man, like what if we don't find a place? What if we find a place that works, but a lot of people don't like it and they leave? Or what if during this transition time, people use that as, a, as an excuse to leave the church? Because people leave during transitions. And what about our, what about our budget? We're already behind on budget. How is this going to affect? What if the new place costs more money? Or, or what if, you know, people leave and giving continues to drop? And what are we going to do? And just fear after fear after fear after fear, anxiety, stress. And this has been a rough month for me, with my dad having cancer and a couple other personal things I've been going through, and I felt like, man, I'm a tottering fence. I feel like I'm being kicked while I'm down, like, God, what is going on? (laughs) What's ironic is that I got that news on Wednesday. Wednesday is the day I put together the message. So I've been reading this psalm over and over again. And I'm here, I'm asking God, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And it's like screaming, get quiet before me. As it says it over and over again in this passage. Get quiet before me. And so finally on Wednesday afternoon, I tried that. And I'll be honest, I couldn't do it. I mean, I just tried to sit still. And all I had going through my mind was all the fears. So then on Thursday, I tried again. And I was a little bit less distracted, but I was still pretty distracted. On Friday morning, I finally got some time where I said, all right, God, <laughs> I just need to hear from you because I'm spinning. And I, and I got quiet before God, and I started remembering just, you know, who he is, what he's done for me. How he's taking care of me, how he's taking care of my family, how he's taking care of Midtown Church over and over and over again. Started reflecting on his power—he divides the Red Sea, sets the Israelites free from slavery, that he raised Jesus from the dead, that he set us free from the slavery of sin and death. And again, to just meditate on who he is and what he's done. And I'll tell you what happened, guys. What David happened to David is it happened to me. These truths about God became personal to me in the midst of my troubling time. And I was able to find rest. I mean, I was able to start breathing again. Then my shoulders kind of like, you know, relaxed a little bit. And I won't, I'm not, you know, I'm not making this up and I'm not just saying this for a fact, but like I, I literally began to laugh. Because oh my goodness, how crazy is this? Three weeks to find a new place. You know? I mean it's just once you get past the shock of it all, it just kind of it's it's funny. <laughs> Especially in light of a God who is all powerful and who loves us. And now they will think, What? Man, I want God to be glorified through Midtown Church. If this is one way he's going to glorify himself and that his provision for us and how we lean into each other during this time to take care of one another, man, to God be the glory, this can't mess us anything up. And I was able to laugh in the midst of the troubling times. Now, let me just be clear. (laughs) We don't know where we're going, Okay. And um, we actually don't exactly know when we have to be out of here. The initial phone call said three weeks. I showed back up at the Baker Center the next day and was like, hey, uh, maybe I had a dream. I can't remember, but I thought you said three weeks. And they're like, well, no, we don't know exactly. We haven't heard for sure, but we think it's going to be before the start of the school year. It could be as early as August 1st. It could be as late as mid to late August, something like that. So, It may not be three weeks. It may be four It may be, it may be six. All right. Um, we hit the pavement running already on Wednesday and and then Thursday, uh, Justin, Jenny, and I, we started trying to, you know, knock on doors and go visit places and see what options are out there. We've identified four-ish potential options. We don't know if they're really good options or if we would actually have the thumbs up to use the space yet. Uh, but you know, we're, we're running, but we don't know. We don't know where we're going to be yet. Um, we do know this, all right? We do know that we're committed as ever to stay in central Austin, to stay just north of campus uh, between Mopac and 35. Uh, we don't want to go north of 45th Street, okay? So like, we've got a small area that we're trying to stay within, <laughs> and we're going to trust God to keep us here, okay? We're committed to this part of the city. This is the first neighborhood. You know that Hyde Park? Very first neighborhood in all of Austin, the old Texas fairgrounds, when they cleared out and they went to Fort Worth or Arlington, they built the very first suburb of Austin right here in Hyde Park. We're committed to reaching the very first neighborhood of, of Austin. We want to see the day when every man, woman, and child in Austin hears the gospel from someone who loves him. We want to start it right here. We want to own this part. So we're not moving from here, okay? We want to do this neighborhood and the campus, and we're saying, man, this is where God has called us to. So that's where we're going. We're going to stay close to campus. We're going to stay close to Hyde Park. We don't know how yet, though. Okay? So just know that that's what we're looking at. And then the other thing I want to tell you is in two weeks, not this Sunday, but two weeks from now. uh, I'm sorry, two weeks from this Sunday. Of course not this Sunday. Two weeks from this Sunday, we're going to have an information meeting. And we're going to, after, after church, stick around for 20 minutes or something like that. Um, and we'll just give you all the information we have as we have it. AIC is completely shut down this next week, 4th of July week. They shut everything down. So we will not have any new news this next week. They told me that. So there's, no, there's going to be nothing to report to you uh, next Sunday. But two, two Sundays from now, we will have news. And we'll let you all know. And we can have Q&A. We'll just, you know, we're going to keep everybody on the loop. But for now, this is all we know. Well, that's all we know, and we know this. We know that uh, power belongs to God. And that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. And guys, it's in that truth that we can rest and we can say with the psalmist, trust in him at all times. O people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. So let me wrap up by saying two more things, okay? To go back to this psalm, one of the things that struck me this week is just how amazing it is that David was assured of these two virtues of God, his power and his love, pre the cross. Guys, how much more should we be assured of God's power and his love from our vantage point? looking back on Christ's death and resurrection for us. See, sometimes when we get silent before God, it feels like there's like an apparent sense that God is silent before us. We're waiting to hear from him and we don't hear anything and we think, man, what is going on? But the Bible is very clear that that's just the appearance of silence, that God is with you Always. But we know that to be true because there was a time that God was completely silent when someone was in a time of complete distress. You see, you remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? Do You remember Jesus on the cross? That in his greatest time of need, in his most troubling of times, he called out to the Father. And we're told that God the Father turned a deaf ear towards his Son. And so that on the cross, Jesus would cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the answer to that question is that Jesus was forsaken by God the Father in his greatest troubling times so that we would never be forsaken by God the Father in our troubling times. That on the cross, Jesus bore our condemnation, our sin, so that the separation that exists between us and God would be reconciled. So that we could know that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So that we can know that when Jesus says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, that that's true because he was forsaken on our behalf. And so now we know that God will never be silent and he will never turn a deaf ear towards us because of what he did in our, for Jesus in our place. And because God would be willing to do that, because Jesus was willing to do that, and what he accomplished through it, guys, we can say, man, yeah, to a greater degree of certainty, what David says here, man, God is all the power. He defeated sin and death. And in God is steadfast love because he died for me when I was yet a sinner. I know that he loves me. And does that mean that all the troubling times will go away? Absolutely not. I mean, not in this life. But that does mean we can have rest in the midst of him. And here's what the rest is. The rest is not that we have all the answers. It's not that there's not uncertainty and hard times and The rest is not in that. The rest is in the fact that what God has given us, hear this, is that he has given us extravagantly, abundantly, beyond our comprehension, he has given us himself. And it's in the gift of God given to us we can be with him that he walks with us in the midst of trouble that we find rest so we're going to meditate on that as we close this morning at the message this morning by taking communion because when we take communion we're remembering that jesus gave his body he says this is my body given for you he gave us himself this is my blood for you the new covenant of my blood that we would be reconciled to God, not based on what we do for him, but what he has done for us. So as we take the bread and we take the cup, guys, may God use this even now to get silent before him. In fact, the band is not going to play for a couple minutes here, a minute or so here, just so we can all just be completely silent before him. And ask him to even use this moment now to speak to your heart that he's powerful enough to defeat sin and death and the enemy and he loves you enough to die for you, that you be reconciled to him, to give himself to you. If that comes home to your heart, you'll find rest even in the midst of troubling times. Let's pray. God, you're better than we realize. Speak to our hearts now, God. We ask through this time of communion about your power and about your love. Bring us rest even in the midst of trouble. God, we ask that you would provide a great spot for our church to meet. And God, we also ask that you would, you would be honored in how we trust you as we wait. God, may you be glorified because you're the best. Thank you that we can find rest even in the midst of trouble because of who you are and what you've done for us. For that, God, we praise you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.